Welcome to the number one South Asian radio station in North America. Ruckus Avenue Radio. I'm a doctor, a father, an American, an Indian. I've had conversations about life from every angle. And as I've navigated the South Asian experience, I share stories of people and their purpose. And what they're saying over and over again is, trust me, I know what I'm doing. I'm Abhay Dandekar, and on this year-end, year-beginning episode of Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing, we're talking politics with Neil Makija, the Executive Director of IMPACT, the Indian American Advocacy and Political Action Committee, and Amit Jani, the National Asian American Pacific Islander Director for President-elect Joe Biden's campaign. Stay with us. A huge part of the ongoing South Asian American story is our representation in the political and policy arena, and Neil Makija is helping to ensure that we have a seat at the table. Neil is a Philadelphia-based public interest attorney and law professor with deep experience having worked in both the White House and the Senate. He was born and raised in a small Pennsylvania town where he returned to run as the Democratic candidate for state legislature in 2016, outperforming the national campaign by 14 points. He is now the executive director at IMPACT, a leading political organization dedicated to helping patriotic Indian Americans launch, succeed, and sustain in American politics. We talked about his background and the work that lies ahead, and we started out by reflecting on the moment that he realized that the recent presidential election had been won. You're talking about the moment that it was actually declared as opposed to... Right, the pinpoint moment. Well, it, it was it was amazing. And I knew for days because I am very much in the weeds in Pennsylvania. I knew yeah. where the votes were coming from and, and how many were left in terms of mail-in versus polling. And so we had a good idea that even the day after the election or late on election night, that Pennsylvania was going to be solidly yeah. for Biden by about 100,000 votes. But, uh, but when it finally happened and when it was announced, we honestly, we just me and my fiance, Rachel, we just walked outside and we just wanted to, uh, I don't don't even know what, we wanted to celebrate in some capacity. And of course we walked two blocks and there was a parade and we joined the parade and everybody had just (laughs) left their houses and we followed it all the way to Independence Mall. And there was a huge rally going on, although in COVID was kind of uncomfortable. We kept our distance, but there were a lot of people celebrating. Yeah. Well, and and I mean, you know, with that, there's always, of course, this sense of great elation and a culmination of so much work that's that's been done. Um, You know, and for some actually savoring that is is so critical to sort of re-energizing. And for others, it's like, okay, the wheels are turning for all the work that now needs to be done, you know, after that, like, what was that kind of combination perhaps like for you? Well, I think uh, I, I did feel obviously great about the finality and knowing that we elected Joe Biden and especially that we elected uh, Kamala Harris as the next vice president and so, you know somebody who I've known, somebody who I've supported for a long time. Uh, but it was also a difficult uh, election in terms of down-ballot candidates who were fantastic, who we supported as impact, as you know, the Indian American Impact Fund, um, and here in Pennsylvania, in North Carolina, in Texas, in many states, that we thought we had the chance to flip. And none of that happened. 
virtually none of it. I mean, there were some people who won in New York, New Jersey, who made the first actually in, in cities in, here in Philadelphia. Nikhil Saval is a guy who became the first South Asian state senator uh, or state legislator in Pennsylvania's history. We we did that in in largely in the Democratic primaries, but in terms of expanding uh, the majority and the coalition, that didn't happen. We didn't win the Senate. And so, you know, that's hard and it's still hard. It's still hard to tell what that's going to mean for the president and the vice president elect. Will they get to do any of the things that they ran on? Of course, they'll do some in terms of executive orders, but to really have a transformative um, administration and to, to take action, you need Congress. And so it's, you know, it's not kind of the resounding victory that people were hoping for or the uh, that kind of, um, you know, finality that comes with knowing that we are past a certain era. Sure. Instead, we're, we're still very much in a divided time in politics. You mentioned after Vice President-elect uh, Kamala Harris was nominated that you felt like you were feeling seen for the first time. And at least was part of the elation, um, you know, was that uh, resonating pretty loudly, especially with that victory? Was that something to, to now carry forward as, as the work continues? Well, I think what's extraordinary is that we've never had uh, someone who is South Asian or Indian American um, or the child of immigrants who's really reached that kind of level of recognition nationally. And I don't just mean level in politics on the national ticket, but but kind of across the board, there are people who now in culture, in entertainment, in other spheres, in medicine, and others who, who have, but no one has really dug into their story in the same way that you do with a political candidate. You, you learn about where they were raised, where their family's from. You know, we, kn- we all know Barack Obama's story. Uh, we didn't necessarily have that before Kamala Harris. And so... I think it's a moment where America gets to hear the Indian American story, as well as the story uh, for women and for for Black women and for African Americans. And so uh, there's really something special in this moment uh, that you can't totally capture right away. But, you know, there are these moments, whether she talks about her her aunts or chitties on the DNC stage or when she talks uh, about her walks, um, in Chennai with her grandfather along the beach um, that, you know, we identify with as, you know, having been the children of immigrants. But um, I think Americans broadly just uh, have not known or have not seen, have not understood our history and uh, what it means to us. And that, I think, is what's uh, really special and also going to be only seen further going forward as she's in the vice presidency and uh, people get to learn about her and, and where she's from. Well, and I mean, as those doors or those windows into that story emerge and they're, they're heard over and over again, and they're beyond the visibility of the sort of pop culture, entertainment culture, and now it's in the civic culture, if you will, or it's magnified in the civic culture, you know, the natural question then perhaps is, so now what? And, you know, if the election allowed that visibility to happen, then is there a strategy now to go beyond the visibility, to go beyond the, just the initial storytelling yeah. and to dig a little bit deeper? 
Yeah. Well, I think part of the, the whole reason the story is important is because it tells people you are part of the fabric of American society. You belong here and you have a say in the direction of this country. So in Georgia, for example, AAPI voters broadly, and the biggest chunk of that is Indian Americans in Georgia. There's about 150,000 deities there. And you know, they have the highest increase in turnout of any demographic uh, in the country it was, was AAPI broadly. And I think if you drill down, you'll see Indian Americans. I think that's because they see Kamala. And they, they also, I mean, we're reaching a, a stage now. We've been here and um, folks, especially my generation, want to participate, um, not necessarily follow the same path that allowed our, our parents to, to get to the country. Um, and so we're definitely at a time where we are engaging as a community and this just accelerates that. Well, and does that translate to, you know, the civic engagement of efforts like the Brown Book or getting more people involved and the yeah. work that Impact is doing? Or um, is, it all, is it all encompassing to not only just, you know, bringing out the vote and, and making sure that people are, are sort of organized around the goal as well as part of the goal? Does that yeah, make sense? I'm glad you mentioned the Brown Book because it's not, you know, it's voting. And just so everybody listening knows, the Brown Book was a project that was started in 2018. It was to gather resumes of South Asians uh, who were interested in government and politics in D.C. or in the states, mostly in Congress at the time in 2018. But we restarted that project. And I'm looking at it right now, 384 resumes um, of really incredible. Some of these people are, are just, you know, extraordinary, many of them. Um, and that extraordinary talents not only already in government, but also uh, in the private sector. And we want to help them get their foot in the door in the administration, in politics. And that's another signal. So it's, you know, the increase in voting. It's the increase. There's an increased number of people who are running who are candidates. We did increase overall our representation. We got about five new people elected this year who were not before. Um, and then it's also these roles that are really important and essential uh, to helping uh, those who are elected and, and really just serving the country uh, in, in many different capacities from, you know, whether it's in HHS, I'm looking at some folks or, um, you know, other areas of priorities, climate, environment, so many different uh, problems that uh, the the federal government needs to tackle in, in various means through the administration. What was it like in some ways to not only be an Indian American there, but the son of an Indian immigrant growing up and, and now sort of reflecting back on that, that backdrop for yourself? Um, how did that feel, particularly when you reflect back on, on um, those days and now carrying forward to this yeah. historic election? So it's a number of very different experiences because I went back when I was older. And uh, initially, like many young people who grow up in uh, rural areas, uh, you know, and, and especially in Carbon County, a lot of people are itching to go to the big city to get out to have experiences. And that's what I wanted to do when I was younger in that, you know, it's a town of 5,000 people, literally, um, you know, you, you knew everyone and their grandmother. Um, yeah. And I mean, in terms of, you know, the racial bit, it, you know, I was the first person of color many people had ever known. Yeah. I, I have a lot of allergies. I had a peanut allergy. 
one of my ki- kindergarten teachers asked me if all Indian people were allergic <laughs> to peanuts. And, <laughs> so, and they might. I don't know. Right? Well, I, you know, you know, my father was an OB. He delivered all yeah. these, all the babies in the town, and yeah. I didn't fully appreciate his role in the community until I came back. So mm. basically, I went. Um, you know, I worked in government. I uh, had a chance to work in the Obama administration. I worked in the Senate uh, for Senator Gillibrand, and then I went to law school. And I, and I got into Harvard because uh, my parents just would never have been uh, happy. Happy, right. I was doing <laughs> unless, unless, you know, that was the only way to convince them that there was any merit to going right. to law school. But, um, <laughs> you know, otherwise my mom would still, I mean, she's still saying, you know, you, you could be an engineer. You could be, a, you know, there's still time. There's still time. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. But anyway, so I got into Harvard and I found out that there was this scholarship from Carbon County for people uh, who were born and raised in, in, you know, in my, in my hometown. And I called the scholarship office and I, t- I just found this on my own. They didn't tell me. Mm. So I called them and I said, you know, I, I saw the scholarship and they said, sorry, we've distributed everything for the year. Uh, it's over. I said, by the way, they said, by the way, where are you from? And I said, Carbon County. And they said, hold on a second. Wow. And they came back and they said, send, send us your birth certificate and your high school transcript or some, you know, some kind of verification. They, they, didn't, ask you, they didn't ask you for your, your peanut allergy history or anything know, like that? Or? No, no. The birth certificate, it says County of Carbon. And yeah. It was verified that I was a born and raised Carbon County kid. And that got me a full scholarship from a coal baron. Wow. Um, and... You know, it was totally uh, not something that I was expecting. And most people go to law school, you know, it, it's kind of straight to the big law firms to pay off, uh, you know, uh, the loans. And, you know, m- you know, some people go there for a couple of years and then they go into public interest. But it kind of sped up the timeline for me. And I also felt that I wanted to go back home and give back because I received this. And I learned everything about the grantor who was like a, he was the son of a coal magnate. And in the 1920s, when he endowed this, it was actually when all of these immigration laws were passing to restrict immigration from India and other countries passed by both Democrats and Republicans. And he he was a Democrat who ran for Congress. Um, So I, you know, I just thought like, wow, there's no way that anyone thought this scholarship was going to the Indian kid. Right. (laughs) And most of these other scholarships are like, you have to have this name or they used to be a little more racial, like they were quite. um, Almost like heritage scholarship. Yeah, they were, and which were then kind of like, I guess, opposed to public policy. I don't know if it's illegal, but sure, it it may be at this point. Um, But there was a time when they were more like that. So you know, I felt like I wanted to come back home and to, to, to make use of that and to be of service in the community I grew up in. So I got involved with a number of nonprofits, including working on homelessness issues. And at, politically at the time, this was a democratic place and it had just shifted Republican in 2010, which was this Tea Party wave. And many people in the party, including the former speaker of the PA House who held that seat, who was a Democrat, um, you know, they, they wanted someone to run. And I was like the young idealistic kid who could right. potentially do this. 
let's get that guy. I had no idea how, you know, completely impossible it was going to be. But but anyway, they, you know, they got behind me, which was really um, kind of an honor to, to have all these people who I grew up with uh, support me. But going back to what I was saying about my dad is the best thing about running for office, even though I didn't win uh, for the state house is I got to knock on 10,000 doors in my community Mm. and hear almost as many stories about my dad having first come there and how he delivered somebody's baby, how he saved um, their mother's life, how yeah. you know he really contributed to the community. And, you know, it was just extraordinary to hear that because I right. also heard people say that when he first came to the country and to the County, uh, they were skeptical, Yeah, that, you know, that nobody went to see him as a doctor because they, you know, it was foreign to them. Uh, and then over time he just became an institution and, and totally beloved. So uh, I got to hear that not from him who I would probably never believe it <laughs> tell me as a kid, but I got to hear it from his patients all around different parts right. of the County that I didn't know existed. So, well, that, yeah. yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, and, and did you find that any of that same skepticism existed when you returned as sort of like a, a son of Carbon County and now coming yeah. back? And, and yeah, it's, you know, many, many years later from what your dad's experience was, but were there any parallels to that? Oh, absolutely. And this is where you know it's, it's not just a, a matter of the amount of time you've been somewhere or how you've contributed. It's just you know, if you are, if you, you know, are of a different racial background, you will be treated as an other. And that was basically the strategy of, of the incumbent. Uh, the first thing they did was sue me and claim that I was not uh, a citizen of Pennsylvania in order to, to try to knock me off the ballot. Right. And uh, I won that case, um, which I now teach at, at, in an election law <laughs> class, which yeah. is great because, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to go to a firm. I didn't want to be an associate. And then yeah. I ended up being a defendant uh, in the lawsuit, um, you know, the candidate uh, and, the, and the associate on this case. And um, it wasn't about the law. And this is what we've mm-hmm. learned in the Trump era. Is yeah. it's, not, it's not about who wins on the law. It's about making the argument and the case to the voters. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the incumbent wanted to tell people that I was an outsider. This was a way of ho- making that hook. Like, right. you know, Trump suing over the results. He doesn't care if he's going to lose. He just wants yeah. people to believe that he's right. Well, and let me ask you this. I mean, in your unique sort of positioning, right? You, you were a um, Carbon County resident. You came back, you ran, you had this pretty unique experience and, and experiential learning of, of going through that process. Did you, did you find a different way because of those sort of tethers and links to hear the sort of overall American voices and stories together and sort of build better coalitions and group um, together different voices so that the strategy can now, especially for Indian Americans, yeah. can take advantage of that? Absolutely. And that's, I mean, that's what I ultimately learned. I mean, we're talking about what I learned in the course of the campaign is uh, when you focus on the issues that are most urgent to people's lives. So in Carbon County, it was the opioid crisis, and it's still a huge issue. Uh, Healthcare is always an issue, and then you can drill down into more specifics. But I learned talking about the opioid issue was the way to build a broad coalition that actually wanted to, you know, 
um, come together to not just vote for me, but actually get behind an agenda. And at yeah. the time it was um, for me about making sure that we had access to treatment, but that we also held the pharmaceutical industry accountable and had them pay for some right. of this, which ultimately happened in the subsequent year, Purdue Pharma and many others started getting sued by state attorney generals and others. And, you know, we have some settlement happening this year. It takes a long time. Um, but eventually, you know, I, I worked on that case uh, for the city of Philadelphia and in Pennsylvania. So I still got to do the work, although not through the legislature. But that was my big takeaway, which is to focus on issues like that that can really bring people together. My guest today is Neil Makija on Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. Neil, you're the executive director of Impact. And, you know, part of the notion that there is an impact is to really galvanize more Indian Americans and South Asian Americans in the community to become engaged. Why has the community struggled with translating this kind of growth and professional success into a political infrastructure and more civic engagement? What barriers have, have been there and what are the ones that we need to work on to, to get better at this? Well, I think uh, for any relatively new community, and I say relatively because there have been South Asians in this country for centuries, yeah. you know, and, um, but the large, you know, the bulk of us um, came uh, in the 70s and are, or are the children of people who came in the 70s and since. So, I mean, we're, we are relatively new in that, like my parents didn't get a visa to come work in as a congressional staff member. You know, my dad came to get a visa for a very specific purpose, which is yeah. to be a doctor in a rural area. And, um, and I think now we're seeing uh, my generation also have the chance to think beyond those means that first were available um, and who want to have a voice um, in, in government, in society, and it, it's happening. And there certainly are barriers, but I, I mm. do think, um, you know, just in the same way that there are barriers to really any, any new community, many communities of color, it's, you know, kind of uh, a need for mentors at, at mm. high levels who support you, advocate for you uh, when you're seeking to, um, uh, we're talking in like a career sense right now, but yeah. it's not always career sense. It could be whether you're running, whether you're uh, trying to promote a project or a company or something, uh, but just mentors who have been in the space that you're in are right. incredibly important. And you can have mentors who are not South Asian, but there's definitely a tendency and a truth uh, to people wanting to mentor those who have a similar background and experience. Sure. So, so that's, you know, a barrier and, and something that we try to work on with impact is, is to build and to fill that gap where we are the mentors to future candidates and public servants, where they come to us, they tell us what they want to do. And we don't say, okay, you're not prepared. We're not going to support you. You don't have our endorsements. You don't have our money. That's not what we do. Instead we right. say, here's the way to think about running. Yeah. You know, I have many conversations where it's not just about the endorsement and the money, but it's about, you know, how do you run? What is the best way to think about being a candidate? We have a sense that if you work the hardest and if you're the smartest and if you're the best, you're going to win. And that's right. not, <laughs> it's not how politics 
works. There's yeah. a lot of factors at play, but being deeply rooted in the community is probably the most important thing. Yeah. Um, well, almost, you know, allowing for people the uh, agency and the, and the licensure to dig deep, get more grassroots oriented in their communities and, and hopefully through impact, get um, a little bit of the blueprints um, that may be involved in, in trying to get there. Um, Georgia's coming up um, soon. And obviously getting out the vote is, is critical, but of those, you know, eligible AAPI um, voters in Georgia and Indians being a, a big part of that, yeah. um, you know, what's the message for those um, AAPI or Indian voters who are Republicans who, who didn't vote for um, a Democratic candidate? Um, what's the message for them now uh, in this run runoff election particularly? Good question. You know, we spend so much time in our echo chambers, yeah. even though I, I've spent, I have to put my mind back in Carbon County, right? Where I talk to Republicans every other door. Right. Um, but, you know, often we're just thinking about Democrats. How do we turn yeah. out the base? Um, what I would say to South Asian Republicans, at least, you know, yeah. think about the issues that you really care about. And most, most of them are probably voting on a tax perspective. Mm. They're, they're probably not receptive to Trump on the uh, social issues or kind of uh, immigration type issues. They're probably voting their pocketbooks, I would assume. But I would just tell them, you know, to think about, um, you know, our future generations. Uh, for me, one of the most important issues is climate. And, yeah. you know, if you're someone who believes in science and believes in facts, you recognize that our country has to do something about uh, the carbon emissions that we're you know, putting into the air every day. And we are on a path to, for the sea levels rising for places like in India and Bangladesh on the coast to be underwater. We're gonna have national security issues as a result of climate refugees. And this is not just in the far off hundred year future. This is right. in the next 20 years. This is in our lifetime, this is definitely something that our kids are going to be dealing with. And um, the Republican Party, quite frankly, just is not going to do anything to tackle this and mm. is not. Um, and, and Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are at least, um, you know, to give them credit, you know, trying to do something and they're trying to build the international coalition and the Paris agreement, which many people say is not enough to be frank. Sure. Um, and we need to go beyond that. But, you know, if, if you think just beyond um, kind of the immediate sense, and there are people who make the argument on the pocketbook issues that actually that it's, you know, the whole lower tax, if you're making under 400,000, it's, you're going to be fine. You yeah. know, you're not, you're not going to get your taxes raised. Um, but I just think the responsibility of government is, is on these issues that are mm. collective action problems. No one can solve uh, climate change on their own. It needs to be governments working together, uh, enacting policies that drastically change the way that we draw energy uh, and from what sources. So there, there's really no choice there in terms of between the parties and yeah. And that's all I would, yeah, that's, that's my plea for the planet. <laughs> well, for hopefully, the you know, <laughs> let, let me finish with this. Um, you know, at, at all the, for all the work that's going on right now, really the, the movement that's 
hopefully not is building momentum and it hasn't actually crescendoed. But, you know, in, in two years, four years from now, when the next sort of major election cycles come through, what do you hope people will be saying about this movement and about impact and about the work that you're doing now? We're going to finally see that we have a seat at the table as we have, we have four members of Congress right now. We're losing one um, of, of five with, with Vice President Harris, but um, you're going to see that we have a seat at the table. You're going to see that we're participating. And that is something that will um, also not just be at the highest levels, but, you know, at the, at every level from, you know, the school board on up and we're supporting people running for all sorts of offices like that. And, on the whole, I think you'll see our community represented uh, at the ballot box like we're seeing in Georgia, where they actually have made the difference. And every community has made the difference because Georgia was so close. But uh, it means that our elected officials will pay attention to us. Yeah. They will um, see us as you know part of the fabric of the country. And I think once we also learn our own history, and this is part of what we want to do with impact is to really teach people kind of how we're here in this country. What are the immigration laws that pass? What did it take for us to get to this point? We had a Supreme court case in the twenties that said we were not eligible right. for citizenship. You know, uh, we're going to learn our whole timeline and mm -hmm. our history in this country. And I think that will set us in a place where we are allied with other, other communities um, in then seeking to enact policies that are broadly inclusive and that give everyone an opportunity, every individual an opportunity, no matter what community uh, they're coming from. And, and that is, you know, ultimately it kind of comes down to that promise and that American uh, dream and vision that is so well uh, kind of exemplified within our community, but that we can kind of help expand broadly for others. Listen, Neil, I, I really want to thank you for engaging with that kind of discussion with um, so many community members. And you're right, having a seat at the table is important, not only for ourselves, but for the entire American community, um, and especially increasing the sort of sense of confidence that people can have in that. Um, so thank you so much for joining. I hope you'll come back and join us again. This is Taz Valuel, and you're listening to Ruckus Avenue Radio. So trying to build a coalition in the highly diverse Asian American Pacific Islander community is a large task that needs skill and strategy. And that's exactly what Amit Jani has been doing for many years now. Amit is proudly from New Jersey and has been active in politics serving the AAPI community at the local, state, and national levels. In 2015, he founded a New Jersey leadership program, advancing youth through the civic engagement process. Most recently, Ahmed served as the National Asian American Pacific Islander Director for President-elect Joe Biden's campaign. We talked about the runoff election coming up in Georgia, his journey as a political organizer, and reflecting on the hard-fought November election. I mean, it's it's been certainly uh, a long and hard-fought journey. I'm glad you know things worked out the way they did, um, and so. Um, in terms of, um, you know, just things that stood out to me, I mean, I was really just astounded by the level of engagement um, 
by the Asian American, the South Asian, the Indian American community, as, as you know, um, you know, as a national Asian American Pacific Islander director for the campaign and which is, you know, the Asian American Pacific Islander community is such a diverse community. Not only does it include the Indian American community or general South Asian right. community, includes East Asian, South Asians, Pacific Islanders, um, you know. And so for so long now, we've been, you know, especially in politics, folks like, you know, Congressman Mike Honda, Congresswoman Judy Chu, others, yeah. um, you know, they've, they've certainly been emphasizing the, the power, the growing power that our community as Asian community generally has, uh, you know, we're, we're the fastest growing racial, uh, uh, racial group uh, in the country. Um, and, you know, so, so, all, that, that's all to say that uh, this election, I was most surprised by how energized, how involved uh, that our Asian community was, mm. whether it was uh, organizing phone banks, um, you know, events, uh, later on virtual events during COVID, um, you know, op-eds, et cetera. Um, so just that level of engagement uh, and participation was really motivating for me and really energizing. And for me, that's that's one of the reasons I got into politics is, to you know, further uh, advance our community, um, and it was so gratifying to see that happen in real time. And honestly, yeah. and, and certainly we were uh, the margin of victory this time around. I mean, you look at some of the margins in some of the key battleground states, and you know, without the Asian American community, I don't think we could have won some of those. So, yeah, uh, certainly played a very pivotal role this this time around. And tell me one thing. I mean, you know, so that was I'm sure a big big buildup going along, and. Um, obviously, with the addition of Vice President-elect Harris, there must have been a great boost to, you know, magnify that. Was there uh, some, you know, sort of vitality and energy that built um, certainly around that particular aspect of the campaign in, in August when that announcement was made? Certainly. I mean, having, uh, uh, you know, Kamala Harris, now <laughs> Vice President-elect uh, Harris, uh, join the ticket, I mean, it was certainly very energizing, uh, especially with the Asian American community, the South Asian community, Indian community, um, you know, literally the day the announcement was made, you know, I was making phone calls, we were doing notifications. And, you know, we had so many leaders from the community call and folks that I, I spoke to, uh, you know, former, you know, secretaries of state, elected officials, um, etc. Um, and, you know, some of them were actually crying. And that just goes to show the, the raw emotion and uh, just seeing someone from our community, you know, be on the ticket to have this unprecedented and historic feat. Um, I think was really touching for a lot of people. And, and you know, I, th I think the Asian community, South Asian community was, you know, energized, mobilized with us before. But I think that just brought a whole new layer element uh, uh, and excitement to the campaign. And when you were thinking about this um, throughout the, the campaign, that level of engagement, um, that level of activity, how, were there any uh, barriers, like common barriers that you were finding to say, wow, you know, we could have even more engagement, we could have even more um, activity? What were some of the typical roadblocks that you found yourself uh, facing, especially in, in our community to get even more engagement? I think one of the biggest challenges uh, in organizing the, you know, Asian American Pacific Islander community is really, again, going back to the diversity. I mean, uh, you know, certainly, I think, you know, if you're outside from the community, uh, you know, it just seems like this monolith, uh, you know, lithic group, uh, but it's really not, you know, there's so many different issue areas, there's so many different languages, cultures, just priorities. So just really uh, honing in um, on each of those kind of issue areas for each different 
sub-ethnicity, uh, you know, I think that was one of the most challenging pieces because as you know, there's over 50 ethnicities within the Asian American Pacific Islander diaspora, um, you know, so really just honing in on that, you know, kind of reaching folks in different languages, you know, that's another element too where, yeah. you know, some especially first generation or, you know, older immigrants, uh, you know, such as our grandparents or mm -hmm. parents, you know, a lot of times they have trouble, you know, understanding or communicating in English. So even kind of going, uh, honing in on that piece and having material that's in language, for example, yeah. uh, that's the sort of things that we had to do to make sure we were reaching the Asian American Pacific Islander community more broadly across the country. Well, and, and you know, because it's so diverse, because it's so vast and, and um, really, really rich in, in different backgrounds and, and heritages and cultures, um, is it hard then to, you know, lump that group really together as, um, as one? And, you know, when you actually think about it, is it, is it actually fair to do so um, in, in that way? How does that sort of concept even live as a, as a political strategy, um, you know, going forward? I, I think that's a great question. Um, and I think that's one that, you know, a lot more people are starting to talk about, especially within the API community. Um, you know, I think generally if you go to just uh, anyone on the street, <laughs> you know, and then tell them, you know, or mention API, you know, they're, they're not going to know what that is. Even people, you know, even, even members of our own community, you know, yeah. you could go to someone that's from, you know, uh, Vietnam and say, hey, uh, are you API? And they, they might not know what that is. And again, I think that really goes back to kind of, you know, it's more of a quote unquote census term where, you know, it's grouping everyone together. But a lot of times members from our own community don't even know what that is, you know, a lot of times folks identify with, you know, their own country or their own region and not necessarily this, you know, general kind of monolithic group here. But, but I, I think that's a good question. Certainly, I think in terms of terms of identifying, I, I think folks do tend to identify, you know, more uh, hyper locally with where they're from, yeah. specifically country, you know, that sort of thing. But I think moving forward, I, I think it is important that as a community, you know, we all really uh, come together and unite because I think, you know, as, as our numbers uh, continue to grow, like I mentioned, we're also the fastest growing racial group. Yeah. So I think we should all use all of that, all those, uh, you know, things to our advantage and really strive to make a bigger dent than we already have. So mm -hmm. I think if we can unite, you know, South Asians, East Asians, Pacific Islanders, just community yeah. as a whole, then, you know, I, I think, you know, that further enforces our political identity, further, uh, you know, increases our political influence. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's just better for the community overall. But certainly, like you mentioned, the challenge is really uh, uniting, you know, those 50, over 50 ethnicities and all those uh, very diverse groups. So it certainly is a challenge. But if we can do it, I think it would really help the community as a whole. I mean, this election seemed like it was a signature for uh, the API community in, in so many ways. And, and yet, really um, was reflective of, of all those diverse opinions and, and even a diverse electorate. So is the coalition building now the, you know, the next step to even further strengthen that coalition, especially in the next cycles of elections going forward? Absolutely. I think so. I think, you know, the more coalition building we can do, the more united we can be, um, you know, the more lockstep that we can work in together, I think the better off we'll be and, and you know, the more influence we'll have. I, I completely agree. I think coalition building is, is key here. I think in a lot of ways, uh, you know, the coalition that we built across the campaign, whether it was from the early moments of the primary to, you know, more recently in the fall, um, you know, you've heard, you know, uh, uh, now President-elect Biden, um, you know, Vice President-elect uh, Harris, 
they all mentioned this several times in the campaign. You know, we've had one of the largest coalitions and broadest coalitions in the history of any presidential campaign. Yeah. Um, and without that, you know, we, we certainly wouldn't have uh, uh, made it to where we are now. But uh, specifically within the API community, if, if you look just this year alone, uh, in terms of early voting, you know, about a, a, a million API voters turned out, you know, that's, that's mm-hmm. over 21% more voters than the entire 2016 API turnout. Um, you know, uh, you know, President-elect Biden, you know, he carried API voters by a margin of almost two to one. Mm-hmm. Um, again, bolstering the case that the API vote surge was a key component of our victory, um, especially in the narrowly decided states, like I was mentioning earlier, like yeah. Arizona, Nevada, Georgia, Michigan. For, for us, we had over 14 uh, uh, affinity groups. Um, and mm-hmm. again, that's going back to the diversity within the community and um, you know, how that was important. So we wanted to make sure we were really honing in on each particular sub-ethnicity. So we had about 14, everything from South Asians uh, for Biden to Korean Americans for Biden, uh, Laotians for Biden, uh, et cetera. Uh, so it was very specific there. And then within each affinity group, um, you know, you actually had an umbrella of other subgroups, if you will. So for example, uh, within South Asians for Biden, you know, we had uh, Hindu Americans for Biden, we had Sikh Americans for Biden, mm. um, you know, uh, we had Indian Americans for Biden, we had a Pakistani Leadership Council, Bangladeshi, etc. So that really just goes to show the level of organizing that went into not just the overall umbrella groups, which yeah. are 14, but even within those, you know, there are certainly more. So just seeing that operation and where it's gotten to the point where it was uh, post-election day, Um, That was just incredible. So I think the challenge now to answer your question uh, is how do we keep those kinds of coalitions going? You know, Um, because usually what happens, um, you know, you'll have a election, whether it's a presidential or gubernatorial, whatever it may be. um, And all the work you usually do, a lot of times that that work is lost. Mm -hmm. Um, So finding a way where we can really permanent, uh, make make that structure permanent, uh, making it, make it ongoing. I think that's really the key here. So that's something I'm, you know, personally working on and helping with is making sure yeah. we solidify these infrastructures so that we can continue using that, not just for this past presidential or for Georgia coming up uh, in a few weeks, but, um, you know, for future, you know, cycles, whether it's presidential or down ballot as well. For you personally, how'd you end up celebrating um, the election? <laughs> Uh, so election night, I mean, as you can imagine, uh, you know, it was, it was nerve wracking. It was exciting, just a lot of emotions overall. Um, and as I was watching the returns come in, I mean, it was just, you know, I'm, 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 I'm kind of a political nerd and, and nature. So for me, it was just very exciting as, as I'm sure it was for most of the country. Um, but it was a sharp, uh, you know, difference from last cycle in 2016. So, uh, you know, where I was actually at the Javits Center, you know, night of election night with Hillary Clinton, uh, you know, um, and, you know, honestly, that was one of the worst nights of my life. Um, you know, I was the, 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 the stage was actually shaped like the, the map of the United States. Um, you know, I was with my, my mom, you know, my girlfriend at the time, family, cousins. Um, and we were right by Florida, if you will, where, where the stage was right in front. So we were all very excited. But uh, like I mentioned, you know, we were there until about 3 a.m. in the morning, and yeah. it was actually one of the worst nights of my life. So, you know, ever since that day, I, I told myself, you know, I was going to do everything in my power to to help change that. Mm. Um, and certainly this time around is a much happier, uh, 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 you know, kind of election result. So yeah. election night, I think, you know, we were all busy kind of watching the returns and, and you know, uh, 
kind of uh, following that. Um, and then when, when, you know, we actually won, you know, uh, a couple of days later, I think that was just, I was, I was actually taking a nap funny enough. And then <laughs> I just started getting all these phone calls, text messages, and then people are reaching out. And, and so just waking up to that was just so great. And, and, you know, I think very well deserved. And certainly I think, you know, uh, President-elect Biden and, and Vice President-elect uh, Harris are, are the real, you know, the right leaders for our country. Yeah. So I'm glad that worked out. Well, I mean, um, it's, uh, you're, you're a, a 30 year old Indian American, um, from New Jersey and, you know, naturally, uh, for most Indian American guys from New Jersey, um, they're bound to be the AAPI advisors to pre presidential campaigns. Right. I mean, um, for the most part, uh, how did you get here? How, how did this work for you? What was, uh, the sort of, you know, kernels of the journey to, to get to this spot? Uh, you know, I, I guess where to begin, but uh, for, for most of my, you know, uh, career, I've been in government and politics, you know, um, and for me, my, my, my father was actually involved in Indian politics. And so, you know, I was always exposed to that. But uh, like any good Indian son, I, I wanted to go into medical school <laughs> and become a cardiologist, uh, you know, just because I liked helping people. I remember when I was uh, five, I wanted to be a firefighter just so, you know, um, you know, you could save, you know, dozens of people's lives every year. And then, um, you know, I wanted to go into medicine later, just just so, you know, just the scope of that in helping others, you know, you can save hundreds of people's lives or, or, you know, whatever per year. And then, you know, when I really thought about it, and looking at the scope and magnitude of, of government and politics, really, uh, it's really unmatched, right? I mean, there's no other place where through a single community a block grant or piece of legislation, um, or program, you can affect the lives of, you know, um, millions of people right. across the country. So for me, um, that was really the driving force was in terms of wanting to help people. And then partly through my father, watching him, you know, involved in Indian politics growing up. Um, so I think uh, subconsciously, that's really what led me into uh, uh, going into government politics and, uh, you know, uh, deflating my parents' dream dreams of me being a doctor. <laughs> but um, Or even inflating their dreams even further, right? Uh, of all the things you've now been able to accomplish and your family must obviously be really proud. No, it's, it's certainly, you know, great seeing that. And I, I, know, I know they are proud. I have family in India who've been following the elections, reaching out and, and here obviously as well. But I mean, it's certainly been an incredible journey. I know they're proud, but, you know, I, I, you kind of have to say that because, uh, you know, uh, for so long, you know, Indian parents or South Asian parents always kind of push their kids to go into, you know, medicine or, or the law or, you know, engineering or business, but it's never public service or politics or government. And partly, um, as an aside, you know, we also started uh, a nonprofit here in New Jersey called the New Jersey Leadership Program, um, which, you know, we're going into our sixth year now. Um, but really, that's that's really we, we started that to really change that narrative of South Asian, you know, families, you know, saying, look, there's other options as well. You don't have to just be a doctor or business person or engineer. You can actually do good and, and be successful in public service or government and politics. Um, so through that, we uh, we choose uh, South Asian high school and college students uh, every summer. And, you know, we give them internships and, and a program to further explore the public sector. I see kids today in the, in the Indian South Asian community and there's more folks that want to get involved. Um, you know, we had a ton of folks who were interns or fellows from the, from the community as well. So uh, for me, that was really gratifying to see that. But, but for me, you know, I, I, uh, you know, I went to a school at Rutgers uh, here in New Jersey. Um, and, you know, I majored in journalism and political science. And for me, I, I, you know, 
my, my goal was to have at least one internship every semester. So starting my uh, sophomore year, uh, I actually had my first political internship with a state senator who was actually a Republican at the time. Um, but, you know, I just, I just wanted to get involved. Um, yeah. So for me, I mean, that was a really exciting experience going down to his office, going down to the state capitol, um, you know, working on legislation, working on constituent issues. Uh, so similar to that during college, I, you know, did an internship every semester, you know, work for labor unions uh, and different kind of uh, entities, different elected officials. Um, and then following college, you know, um, I, did a, I did a short stint at HUD, the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, um, you know, where I actually got to work with uh, the Deputy um, Chief of Staff, Lopa Kaluri, who's also South Asian. Um, it was incredible to work for, actually a member from the community and just a really great experience. So following that, I, I ended up, uh, uh, you know, in D.C., I worked on Capitol Hill working for Congresswoman Judy Chu and the Congressional Asian Pacific American Caucus. Uh, and then following that, I, I got a little bit of homesick, uh, you know, being from Jersey uh, and spending most of my life here. Uh, ended up coming back here to work for Congressman Frank Pallone, uh, who also represents Edison, as, as most of your listeners probably have heard of. Yeah. <laughs> uh, given the, uh, the density of, of the population here. So I, I worked for him in the district office. Uh, I did a little political consulting in between. And then after that, I actually joined uh, Governor uh, Murphy's campaign, Phil Murphy. Mm-hmm. He was running for New Jersey, uh, for governor here in New Jersey uh, in 2017. Uh, so I joined his uh, campaign as the API director. And, uh, you know, after he won, I joined uh, his administration, you know, working on transportation issues. Uh, and in, in between, I was I was also the API director for Senator Menendez as well during his reelection. Yeah. Um, and then you know I, uh, you know, last year obviously, like I mentioned in 2016, you know, election night was one of the worst nights of my life, and I vowed to do everything I could. So, with the presidential coming up, election coming up, you know, certainly I was interested in helping out, doing whatever I could uh, to you know help. Uh, elect, you know, or at least help get Donald Trump out of office, you know. Right. Um, and for me, Joe Biden really, um, you know, even last time around, you know, I was hoping he would run. I mean, I loved yeah. Hillary. I helped to run South Asians for Hillary at the time in 2016. But you know, I was a big fan of uh, Joe Biden. You know, I think he just had the institutional knowledge. Um, you know, he's, he's been in the Senate and leadership positions. Uh, he's been vice president, obviously, and then so many other qualities. Um, but but uh, first and foremost, I think just the empathy that he possesses, I, I think that's really something that I, th- I think current politics is lacking, you know. Um, I think it's just folks talking over one another and just, you know, a lot of gridlock as we're seeing in Washington and other places. Um, so I think being able to bring different factions together and different sides together, that's important. Uh, and certainly having that empathy, um, you know, and, and having that drive to want to actually help people for the right reasons. Um, that's something that really drew me to, to Joe Biden. Mm. Um, so, you know, I've been having conversations with uh, his folks, obviously before the campaign even started, you know, uh, they were working on the infrastructure and, uh, and that sort of thing, setting that up. So, you know, I was in touch with his folks um, from early on and then, uh, you know, it culminated in me joining the campaign as a national API director um, last summer. So. And certainly, it's been a, certainly, it's been a, a long and uh, challenging, but really, uh, uh, you know, um, great, great experience for me uh, being on the yeah. campaign. 
Yeah. I mean, I can imagine so sort of rewarding uh, along the way. And you know, you mentioned that empathy piece and how how important is this? You know, is it pretty tangible that that rubs off on the people who are in that space and it rubs off on you? And and does it make you um, value the uh, idea of mentoring and mentorship even more um, because of that empathy? Absolutely. I, I think it certainly does. I mean, I, I think leadership's always, you know, it, it's always top to bottom, uh, or a lot of times it is. And really, um, you know, the principal or the candidate is really who you look up to and, and you know, how you're kind of doing your job, what the priorities are, you know, uh, what you're going to focus on. So certainly I think Joe Biden, like from day one, since I started the campaign, um, you know, it was evident that, you know, all the qualities that brought me to the campaign or, or to work for him were certainly true. Um, you know, it's really like when, when you're around him, I, I just got this feeling of, you know, him being like your older uncle and kind of, you know, just that uncle saying like, you know, like make sure you're doing the right thing. And, you know, uh, just someone that's, you know, very caring and just kind of checks in. Um, and you saw that during the campaign. I mean, he, you know, he really, I mean, I, I think he really um, embodied the values that I wanted um, or, yeah. you know, that I wanted to see in, in American politics. Um, yeah. Well, and I mean, it probably makes it that much easier than to translate that to the people who you work with and um, those uh, uh, younger or less experienced um, politicos who are now joining as interns in, in some of the leadership capacities that you're trying to uh, really build up. And, and now as we're looking forward to another few weeks of um, really digging deep and, and trying to get the message out in that way in Georgia, um, What's the strategy and what's the uh, prospect now for AAPI uh, voters who are in Georgia? And not only just how to bring out the vote, but how to particularly message to those AAPI voters who, who may not have voted uh, with the Democratic ticket. What's your message for them? Sure, absolutely. So I, I, I would say, you know, following up on this, just this past election cycle, as we were discussing earlier, I mean, you know, the Asian American community really made a difference. I, I think we were the margin of victory. And again, we, we could do it again, you know, come January 5th uh, during the Georgia Senate runoffs. Um, you know, I, I think you saw the surge just in Georgia alone. Um, you know, we, 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 we haven't won Georgia since, um, I, I believe it was, uh, Democrats haven't won Georgia since about 1992, I believe. So, which is a very long time. So it's, it's very promising that we can certainly um, turn out um, you know, um, I know even in Georgia, they turned out, the API community turned out by more than 58%, um, you know, which is a huge surge. So really, I think we just have to keep that going. Um, you know, we certainly paid a lot of attention to Georgia during the campaign. Um, you know, we had a Georgia API state director on my team who focused just on Georgia. Uh, we had a Georgia API leadership council. Um, and certainly, I, I think that all was you know, important key factors into getting that turnout and, and winning Georgia, you know, after <laughs> such a long time. So I think we have to keep that coalition moving, um, you know, um, and that's certainly what we're continuing to do. You know, right now I'm, I'm also uh, helping out in Georgia just because I know it's going to be such an important piece uh, in moving, you know, uh, President-elect uh, Biden's agenda come this administration. So we really need to take back the Senate, um, you know, after just these, this past these past four years and more than that. Um, so um, I know for, for, for me personally, I, I think one area we really haven't focused on, I know a lot of folks are paying attention to the API community and, you know, uh, metropolitan areas, Atlanta and others. But I think it's also important 
really getting out every single vote that we can from the community. And so the one way we do that is really, given that there's, you know, certainly focus uh, in the metropolitan areas, I think one strategy that we're looking at is trying to get out, you know, rural API voters, you know, folks who might not have voted in November or previous elections, or frankly, might not have even gotten in touch, you know, uh, generally throughout their lives. Uh, so we're trying to really change that this time around. Um, and so that's really our focus, uh, or at least for me, and what I'm doing in Georgia is really focusing on the rural API voters and making sure, you know, they know that there's an election January 5th, because a lot of people actually in Georgia, as we're seeing um, in the API community, some, some don't know that there's another special election yeah. coming up um, or how they can vote or how they can register. So that's all things we're really focusing on in the rural areas to make sure, you know, those folks turn out. And even parsing through the data, I mean, I think we're seeing a lot more folks in the API community in rural areas than we initially even thought. So, yeah, you know, we're yeah. also working with uh, uh, Shri Kulkarni, who ran for Congress in, in Texas uh, just a couple months ago. Um, so we're working with him on uh, what he calls a REACH program or relation, re relational organizing. Yeah, and that's something yeah. else that we really use during the campaign for the Biden campaign that I think helped make us uh, successful in November. But we're also working with him to train the API community on how, you know, how can you reach out to your uh, family, your cousins, your relatives, you know, your aunties, uncles, how do you reach out to your friends, your network? And then, you know, how do you really, um, uh, you know, use that and leverage that to, you know, mobilize the community to vote in January, January and beyond? You know, thinking about sort of steps going forward now, as we reach out and you reach out to those who perhaps didn't have the same kind of uh, philosophy, or they voted differently um, than you. How do you engage in that conversation? How do you try and eliminate some of the gridlock that that's out there with more conversation and dialogue? Sure, I think that's a great question, and and that that goes back to really, um, you know, when we were talking about Joe Biden and just that level of empathy and being able to connect with people that don't necessarily, you know, and you know, subscribe to your you know same views, personal views. Um, one of the main reasons I wanted to you know, work with Joe Biden in, in this campaign was, I really thought he had this ability to draw folks together to have differing factions, um, really connect and, and, you know, negotiate compromise and come up, you know, with something that's productive. So that's something going back to gridlock uh, piece during our conversation, that's something that we've seen has eroded over time, just that uh, congeniality, that, you know, formality within politics, that friendship, uh, you know, working across aisles, I think that really has been eroded. And certainly for me, that's something I'd love to see more of um, coming back is really working with different folks with different opinions. And throughout the campaign, I mean, certainly, uh, there, there were, you know, impassioned times, um, conversations, moments where, you know, folks from the APAC community, um, you know, different folks, uh, depending on what side you stood on, um, you know, had different opinions. And, and for me, similar, to, I think, Joe Biden, I, I think really, it's just having a conversation. And right. I think really what politics comes down to is relationships and, and listening to some of the people or just watching people on TV or listening to them on the radio, you don't really have that same level of connection, that human connection that you would, you know, if you had a conversation one on one, or maybe if you knew the person. So I think the first thing is really just having that conversation and really being open minded. I think, Oftentimes, we're just so espoused in our own views um, that really that's what we stick to. But I think having an open mind, having that level of empathy, and just realizing, you know, that it's actually another person on the other end. You know, I think a lot of times when you actually talk to people and have conversations, you realize, you know, you have the same end goal. It's just the, uh, 
kind of the journey or, or strategy that's a little bit different. So um, I just think really being open-minded, having that level of empathy and, you know, being willing to open, uh, being willing to work with, you know, folks that don't subscribe to your same views. I think that really makes us all better. And I, I think that's really the key to <laughs> unlocking this gridlock that we're seeing across the country politically. Well, I'm at mobilizing and trying to eliminate gridlock and, and moving the needle forward to really ensure that we have success in the future, no matter what uh, side of the aisle you're on. Hopefully there's a, a lot of engagement and I think we have a lot to owe to you uh, for that. So um, thank you so much for being on uh, the show today and best of luck for the future. I hope you'll come back and visit with us soon. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure being here with you. I appreciate it. Hi, this is Janita Gandhi, and you're listening to Ruckus Avenue Radio.